Hi, this is Carl. We're excited to announce Microsoft's newest developer service called Azure Pipelines, a fully managed CI-CD platform for any app, language, or cloud. Azure Pipelines is integrated with GitHub through their CI Marketplace and free for open source projects with 10 concurrent jobs and unlimited build minutes for their cloud-hosted Linux, Mac OS, and Windows agents. Learn all the details by visiting azure.com pipelines. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. I'm Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we're in Sydney, Australia at NDC Sydney Developer here, Conference. Here in the Hilton. In the Hilton. And the boat cruises tonight. Yeah, so uh, every year the, the NDC people take the speakers on a boat cruise. Well, some of the attendees come along too. It's, yeah. It's a mixed bag. We'll yeah, have yeah. some fun with it. I, they've always done it in Oslo. Yep. And they did it in London. Yep. And uh, Down the, 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 the River Thames. River Thames. I'm really looking forward to it. It'll be fun. Uh, Patricia Oz is here, and we're going to be talking to her about all things awesome pretty soon. Get, see what I did there? Nice. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> and uh, But before we do that, let's do this little segment we call Better Know Framework. Awesome. All right, dude, what do you got? Uh, today, Richard, I'm talking about uh, nativescript-view.org. Oh. You know, NativeScript. Yeah, yeah, that's the, the Telerik technology. Yeah, Telerik started. Right. Um, it's basically a way to build native apps with just JavaScript. And you can use TypeScript. And now, nativescript-view is the combination of both of those things. But the reason I bring it up is, you know, the technology is cool enough. Mm -hmm. But the playground. Oh, the playground is awesome. <laughs> so uh, we're we're going to put a link to the playground, but um, if you if you just go to our better know framework link, so this is show fifteen eighty six, so it's fifteen eighty six dot pwop pwop dot me. That'll take you to the playground. Um, a, a playground tutorial, like it's it's a real app. It's not just. And just a living, website. is it just living in the browser? No? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. This is becoming very hip, having coding environments right in the browser. Yeah. 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 And so, you get all of that TypeScript, NativeScript, view goodness right there. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's just very cool. That is neat. Yeah. Nice one. That's it. That's what I got. So, right, just check right. it out. Know it, learn it, love it. Who's talking to us, Mr. Campbell? Grabbed a comment off of show 1512, the one we did back in January of this year, 2018, with James Whitaker. We're talking about storytelling. And I know we're yeah. going to talk about code today. Yeah. And I think every piece of code tells a story. Yeah, of course. And James was awesome, right? It, it a great, could be a bad story. I'm not saying, I'm <laughs> going to qualify, man. I was just gonna, it tells a story. It's a story. It may be a story of sorrow. <laughs> <laughs> it may be a story of broken dreams. It might be. Sorry. I've seen that code. <laughs> Uh, but here's a comment. This is for a few months ago. This is Ewan McCrarin, who said, I'm listening to this podcast and it brought to mind the advice I give to those who ask me to write or at least help write their CVs, usually my extended family. I tell them that a CV has to tell a simple and coherent story mm. about who they are and how they've progressed in their work life. Ideally, it, as a vague approximation of the truth, which is a good thing. Yeah. The initial quick scan of CVs by employers Weeds out any CV that can't be grasped quickly, and it's important to get past this hurdle. I can't argue with that. I learned this from my own hiring experience when I was putting together a team of pirates off the Barbary Coast to go off pillaging frigates. 
We needed a range of different pirates, from inexpensive juniors to full hand deck brigands, and I was shocked at the poor state of some of the CVs I received. There were those that were that seemed to feel that their certificated advanced peasantry somehow qualified them as cutthroats. There were others that demonstrated no interest in staying current in the latest nautical plundering technology. <laughs> but those CVs that told a simple, straightforward story of their life of maritime crime, ideally written in the blood of their enemies, at least got an interview. <laughs> you know, we're going on a root cruise later on today, right? <laughs> I'm not so sure I want to go <laughs> <Yeah>. now. Ah, <laughs> uh, Ewan, you got me to laugh, man. Yeah, Great story. So, a copy of Music to Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code By, write a comment on the website at dotnetrocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. They make good plot lines because <laughs> maybe, maybe they don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, let me formally introduce Patricia. Patricia Oss is a programmer who's worked mostly in C++ and Java. She spent her career continuously delivering from the same code base to a large user base. She has worked on two browsers, Opera and Vivaldi. My goodness. Wait a minute. Didn't Vivaldi write Opera? So there's, there's it's a, a lot. There. It's a lot of the same people that yeah. started Vivaldi. Yeah. It's a That's lot awesome. of ex-Opera people where's there. Where's Verdi? <laughs> That's the next that. version. <laughs> I always liked Giuseppe Verdi, which translates to Joe Green. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, also, she works as a Java consultant and on embedded telepresence endpoints for Cisco. She's focused on the maintainability and flexibility of software architecture and how to extend it to provide cutting edge user experiences. Patricia's focus on the end user has led her work more and more toward privacy and security. And she's recently started her own company, TurtleSec, hoping to contribute positively to the InfoSec and C++ communities. She's also involved in the Include C++ organization, hoping to improve diversity and inclusion in the C++ community. Well, welcome, Patricia. Thank you. Yeah, it's good you to talk to you. You don't think about the security side of C++ code very often. Oh. You know, we do it in the, in the .NET space all the time, because mm. we do a lot of front-facing and so forth. But I, don't know, I can't imagine securing C++ is easy at all. No, it's not. And the thing is that is if you look at security issues in C and C++, they're generally more like classical native exploits kind mm, of things. Sure. Uh, whereas if you talk more about high level or front end languages, you're generally talking about, uh, SQL injection or mm, being yeah. or, or not, uh, not securing transport of data. Yeah, exploits of the framework rather than yeah. exploits of the code. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's very, it's a very interesting comparison. So. Yeah, I imagine also, you know, having code that's binary, you know, right on the metal is e a lot easier to hack than, you know, any kind of bytecode or um, IL. The funny thing is that what we're seeing is that most of the vulnerabilities that are, are exposed in normal uh, applications is is more logic er errors, mm -hmm. not huh. not actually code errors. Mostly wow. is things like like the OWASP uh, ten, which is like regular, like SQL injection and, yeah. and things like that, that are the the most common actually. Never gonna. It seems like we're never gonna knock SQL injection off the top of that list. No, it's it, just, it makes me crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's always there. Uh, you've got a great talk here about reading other people's code. Is that in the context of security? That that evaluating code from an infosec perspective. Yeah, in many ways, I I would like to to learn different kinds of frameworks, but also it's it. 
it comes from working in large code bases, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. two browsers, and also in uh, with the embedded product. We, I was uh, playing around a lot with Android, and when I play around with Android, I'm not making. Well, I I also did that. I made Android apps, but I'm basically making an Android device, mm-hmm. right? So you're dealing with the entirety of Android, which and 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 the Linux kernel, and then you had like, th- so you have code bases that are quite old mm-hmm. or that have a lot of history yes and are quite large mm-hmm. um so so trying to understand somebody else's code it becomes a big part of your job like, yeah. i think it's very normal to be reading code of people that is n- that are no longer present yes and probably mm-hmm. haven't been for mm-hmm. ages yes so there's nobody to ask you've no. got to read it and, and, and let's face it comments don't really help do they no, sometimes they can them. be sometimes they can be illuminating. Usually if it's more like high level stuff, like this yeah. thing is supposed to do this thing in this way. Right. More like just descriptive of the of of its function. Right. But when it is per line, generally the code changes uh, right. very often and you'll leave things yeah, behind. behind. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to get very cynical and harsh about reading other people's code, especially when they're not present. Yeah. Especially if you're Linus Torvalds. Uh, he wrote an epic <laughs> email the oh, other day. Oh, yeah. We, 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 we mentioned it on the show just recently. Yeah. I, I'm, I mean... I mean, well, that that's what it was. I mean, he was reading people's code that they were checking in, and he didn't like it, and he would ream them yeah. for it. Yeah. And we've, we've had a culture in tech where that has been an acceptable form of treating other human beings. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, I don't think it's healthy, not for us as people. And I don't think it's good for the things that we make either. Yeah. Agree. Uh, having spent many years as a consultant, I came to appreciate that for some people who are consultants, consultant actually is the synthesis of con game and insult. <laughs> 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 yeah, that your main, your main thing you do is you show up and let everybody know that everything you've done is terrible. I'm here now. We're going to fix it. Right. It's a, it's an awful way to work. Yeah. But it, there is an energy. It's, and it, maybe it's almost in it that this academic energy of I am the smartest person in the room. And if you can't understand that, then that's a failing of yours rather than mine, mm-hmm. which again, I, I fundamentally disagree with. But, uh, but it, it, it's remarkably pervasive. Yes. And I think we, we think that. That is how smart people behave. Yeah. But when you think back to the smartest, most like fascinatingly creative people you've met in your entire career, they're usually really humble and, and, very and, and good teachers. Anders Halsberg. Yeah. One mm-hmm. of the kindest, gentlest people I've ever met. Yeah. yeah. And just staggeringly brilliant. Yeah. And he would never throw it in your face, but no. he has a way of answering a question that you've asked that conveys to you, I have thought deeply about this for a long time, mm-hmm. and I know the next three questions you're going to yeah. ask. Yeah. And you learn. And That's, you do. They, they, so, so in my experience, the, the most brilliant people are actually very kind right. and very mm-hmm. patient, and they think your questions are interesting mm-hmm. and worth answering. Yes. And so the, those that are these sort of, you know, because I don't want to question Linus Torvald's brilliance. No. I mean, some of it's got to be right place at right time. He has stuck to his guns. There's something about persisting in this challenging space of building an, an operating system, Carl. Yeah, he's smart. He's just Mr. Cranky Pants. Yeah. You know. I think I think very often when you read some of, of his uh, more epic uh, answers. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love how dignified you are about this, Patricia. That is wonderful. <laughs> you, you will generally understand his point, and he generally has yeah. a 
he point. has a good point. Yeah, there is a good point in there, uh, but how it is delivered and how he 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 finds it acceptable to talk to other people—that is where the issue is. Right. And I think reading his his email the other day uh, that came when uh, they adopted the proper code of conduct in mm. the Linux project, um, I think he has recognized that. Yeah. Uh, at least recognize that this is a problem. Yes. And and that is the first step to change. Sure. Well, we all know people like that. I've worked with people like that. I've started companies with people like that and left those companies because <laughs> of people like that. So yeah. uh, you must have as well. Yes. Obviously, we all have. But uh, I, mean, I mean, what do you do about this? I mean, what, when you're the person who's the 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 target of some of this stuff, I mean... How, how do you how do you react to it? I mean, if somebody's being totally irrational to you, you can't be irrational back. And generally, generally, there's no good way to deal with it. You need someone else uh, mm. to help you. Mm -hmm. uh, because if you are being picked on, which is basically what this is, yeah. um, then you generally have not enough power to deal with the situation. Mm. But what you will find in tech, which is interesting as opposed to other spaces, is that the people who have actual social power mm -hmm. are not managers. Right. They are other people who are respected for their skills. Right. Mm. So so if you can find uh and 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 someone who is like I said, like one of these humble, brilliant people mm -hmm. who who will teach you and you can learn from, mm. then they don't think themselves as powerful. But if they in a meeting where this is going on, if one of those quiet but, you know, respected people says, Okay, this is this is not how we're gonna do this. Right. This isn't working. Then yeah. everybody backs off. Mm -hmm. I had great mentors when I was younger and learning software. Um, some that weren't so great, but didn't really have time for me, you know, yeah. but, but my friends were really smart, really took the time and mm -hmm. just carefully explained things and quietly, easily, effortlessly. And that was just so, so great. Yeah. I felt very lucky to have mentors like that. Yeah. Yeah. The challenge, well, maybe we should talk first about why would you be reading someone else's code? Like I've suggested that infosec scenario of I'm looking for security potential security vulnerability. Mm -hmm. But what are the typical reasons you see that people have to sit around and read code? Okay, I've I've worked as a C plus plus developer, and we have a very kind of special type of culture, so it's not very applicable, I think, to most other cultures mm -hmm. because we have this idea of understanding everything all the way down to the metal, right? Right. Yeah, uh, it's a, but, definitely a philosophy. <laughs> it is a philosophy, and 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 it's 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 a culture, and it's very it's very common in that area and mm -hmm. C, C++, assembly, low-level programming. Mm -hmm. They have that kind of view. But if you look at more high-level programming, like if you do uh, JavaScript or Java or I'm sure .NET, yep. um, then if you have, you you generally use many frameworks mm -hmm. uh, with code that you don't know. Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, and your happy day scenario went fine. You have everything up and running, but something happened in production. Yeah. Right. Uh, and you don't know what happened. You got this error. You have no idea what it means. And so your first step is, okay, I'm going to Google this error. Yes. <laughs> Which then, is remarkably yes. effective. Yes, and most <laughs> and, of the time, that will work. the Google response page, it has three responses. Yes. Yeah. And they're yeah. all in different languages. <laughs> and you're just like, oh. oh, no. But if you're lucky, you get like, you get to some one Stack Overflow thing where one answer has like 500 upvotes. Yes. And you're like, yeah. this is, this is the answer. And, it, and, and, you know, 95% of the time, this will, this will solve your problem. Sure. Yeah. But the last 5%, 
then you're like, okay, what do I do now? Yeah. Right. And, and, and those 5%, you're like, okay, so maybe I should upgrade my version. Maybe I should blah, blah, blah. And then you're just trying stuff. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, yeah. You're just whacking away. Yes. Like, <laughs> <against the> <laughs> yes. Like, it was like, and if something works, you're like, okay, nobody touched it. It works now. Uh, <laughs> not quite sure why, but it's working. <laughs> but it's like, but then you have like one more step where, you really need to figure it out. You haven't been able to do any of your normal techniques. Right. And that's when you go like, okay, so maybe I should try look at this code. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, okay, so I'm going to clone this thing from GitHub. And now I have suddenly like a directory right. with a, a billion subfolders and lots of code and maybe in a language I don't understand. And not to interrupt, but isn't it nice that we now live in a world where that's an option? Oh, yeah. Because yeah. once upon a time, that was all a black box. Yeah. And all it did was spit out error messages. And yeah. Good luck. Yeah, and then and you it, just have to work around it. And yeah. if you have good debugging skills and you can actually load the software mm-hmm. in an environment and, and run through it, you know, you can get very far just by setting breakpoints and yeah. finding yeah. things. Yeah, and then. actually looking your way through. Yeah. But you yeah. are looking at somebody else's code. Yes, you are. And that's yeah. a lot what my talk is about, mm-hmm. is how yeah. you deal with that. Like starting off with like just a maybe uh, an exception from a log, something that yeah. you're grepping for in this blob of things that you don't know, mm-hmm. trying to figure out how things work. Uh, and trying to figure out what happened. And, and you, you do things like, so one of my, my first step, my pre, I have like 10 techniques, but before that I have like, before you get started. And one of those is like, get the code, get it into version control. If it's not mm. in version control, build it, run it, preferably in a debugger. Yeah. Get a reproducible problem. <laughs> like yes, you can yes. And then it's like it. run tests. And, and a part of the test part is me saying that if you can write a, an integration test or a system test for this thing mm-hmm. that can exercise exactly your the thing you're looking for right. uh, where you can just put it in your debug and just press play instead of like clicking around or doing all sorts of manual things sure. to reproduce yeah. then you can put in your breakpoints add lots of logging read mm. the logs try to figure out what's going on mm. uh, it is a, it is a semi-structured process but it's an iterative process sure. right but didn't you also find that that exercise often reveals the actual problem as yeah. soon as you take an element like the UI can piece out and you're just making the calls directly, all of a sudden you're like, oh, that that's not right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then that, that might be the thing that turns yeah. over your issue. Yeah. So so oftentimes you'll figure out that you were actually doing it wrong. Like they say. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that that you realize you're looking around this code and this code makes assumptions that you should have done something previously that yeah. you didn't do. So now yeah. you know, okay, but if I go and do that then this will work right uh but but sometimes you will actually find a real bug and then you can decide okay so i can fix it locally here or i can try to upstream it or i can do both Mm -hmm. and then you can and but then you end up with like trying to contribute to uh, a project and then you come down to a lot of these social things that we've talked about like how how to 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 get these people to like you how to get a working relationship with strangers i mean yeah in the end i'm about to come to you and say so you know this thing you made your kid's ugly yeah Yeah. it's got a problem and you never detected it but i have and i think this is the fix for it it's Mm. very easy to do that in a way that makes people not like you yeah Yeah. very negative yeah it's super easy to go that way yeah but if you get a good working relationship with these people then suddenly if you have an issue that is really actually not a high priority but they like you they might actually fix it just because it's you you can say how would you like me to make your code not suck (laughs) (laughs) that is an anti-pattern of social ask me how i know (laughs) social anti-pattern number 105 (laughs) i also find it frustrating to just just to open an issue immediately it's like i think there's a problem here i can't do this right rather than take this time to do that exploration yeah no you could have 
quite possibly solved your problem on your own anyway. Yeah. yeah. At least box the problem a little closer. Anytime um, one of my guys comes to me and says, hey, I'm having a hard time figuring out X, I always give it an hour or two before I answer. Because usually I get, oh, never mind. If yeah, got yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. need to think about it a little Do they longer. need to think about it. Need to explain it to somebody. Yeah. And that is actually technique number 10 yeah. in my is list. It? Yeah. Wow. It's retelling or rubber ducking. It's actually trying yeah, to explain it to somebody to else. And, and usually it, the process of like serializing all of your thoughts into text and writing it down or yeah. saying it to someone is, is enough that in the middle of it, you will go like, Actually, never mind. Never mind. I know exactly what's wrong. <laughs> and then you just leave. And the person's like, what, what? happened? It's like, sometimes you don't even get there. You're like, you, you walk into somebody's office and you go like, okay, so I have this thing that I'm really struggling with. And I got to go. Oh. Okay, no, never mind. <laughs> hey, guys, let's hold it right here for just a minute while we take a moment for this very important message. Hi, this is Richard. The Dev Intersection Fall Show this year will be December 3rd to 6th in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand Hotel. The lineup is awesome. Scott Guthrie, Scott Hanselman, Scott Hunter, yes, all the Scots. But also a ton of great industry speakers for some insight on what's coming up in the world of .NET. You know, Core 3 is bringing client technology like WinForms and WPF into play. Could it be time to migrate your existing desktop apps to this new technology? Come learn more at Dev Intersection, December 3rd to 6th in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand. Go to devintersection.com to register and use the code .netrocks to get a discount. And we're back. It's .net Rocks. I'm Carl Franklin. That's Richard Campbell. And that is Patricia Oss talking about reading other people's code and, uh, well, some of the pitfalls that you can find yourself in when you're doing that and presenting problems in other people's code. What about code reviews? Like the sort of conscious effort to have more than one pair of eyes on any given piece of code. It is It is. Uh, it is one of the problematic areas that mm-hmm, we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, because on the one hand, a lot of people find them to be very valuable. Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, they are, like I, I've, I've called them before, uh, they are power structures and power structures can be used to oppress. Yes. And, and you will often see, um, you had a study that was uh, done by GitHub where they were looking at pull requests and acceptance of pull requests. Mm. And uh, what they found was that women were more likely to get their pull requests accepted hmm. than men as long as nobody knew they were women. <laughs> what? <laughs> but if I'm, if I'm, if I'm picking up <laughs> what you're putting down unbelievable. here, it is that their style of approaching a pull request, how they're explaining what they're doing, what their contribution looked like, is very effective. As long the code is good, how they're doing it, everything is good. As long as nobody knows they're women, they are really, really successful. The moment they know that some that people know they are women, they are struggling uphill. Wow. Yeah. And that is something that we have to recognize that these power structures that we make, they are actually oppressing parts of our community. Well, and they're in your, and they're actually in the head. This has yeah. got nothing to do with quality no. work. This is the definitive description of prejudice. Yeah. It's prejudgment based but on But very gender. often people don't do this consciously, right? right? This is something that you do subconsciously. It is interesting to think in terms of how often you do see a gender neutral identity in a GitHub account. Mm-hmm. That it's just like, but that has no gender. It's an avatar mm-hmm. and a name. Yeah. That doesn't really uh, imply a gender. Yeah. And that's the, the smart matrix. way to do it if you want to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because you're, what you're doing is minimizing the prejudgment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For better or worse. It would be better if we didn't prejudge. Yeah. And also uh, that we consider that viewpoints that are different and our own 
are valuable yes. and not only not wrong. Yeah. Just because somebody thinks differently than you, they might actually bring something to the table that you don't know about because of your experience. I've always argued it as you need that little heat to temper the results, that the differences in opinion, the differences in viewpoint create friction. And it, it's tempting to always go for the frictionless society. We all want to agree, mm -hmm. but homogeneity breeds really weakness. Yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely not saying that you should uh, you should just um, get along. Yeah, uh, but I am saying that you should create teams and 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 social environments where people are not afraid. Yes. So if people, you know, you might say something, and and if you have, you know, this is this is uh, most people can recognize. You have. Pick two people, one person that you have a very tense relationship with, mm -hmm. and then somebody who you're really close to. Mm -hmm. And and both of them tell you you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> that is a totally different feeling. Yes. If you have a really close friend, you know they love you, you know they care about you, and they tell you you're an idiot. That is a totally different thing than somebody who is adversarial and mean to you and telling you you're an idiot. Right. And, mm. and, and that is a huge difference. And everybody knows this, like, in their personal life, but then they forget it. At work. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's strange how that said it just sort of falls by the wayside sometimes. It's interesting. I mean, I've worked in so many work cultures. It's interesting to – I have found places that were fairly bombastic in their sort of Socratic evaluations, but with good intent and at high levels of trust. And it was very challenging for new people to join those groups. Yeah. Mm. The group itself functioned very well, but then it does, almost it becomes this club that nobody else can yeah. penetrate. And th at the same time yeah. – you can get into situations where everyone is so careful, it's its own constraint, and you can't actually get things done, or nothing gets better. Or so they don't talk to each other, or they just talk amongst themselves, and yeah. You have to be able to trust people enough that you are confident that even if you say something that is dumb or something that is is bad in some way, that that you won't get punished for it. Mm -hmm. right. uh, maybe it's like if somebody says, like, does anyone have any idea how we can solve this problem? And right. you know that if you throw something out, some some person is going to scream, you're an idiot, that's not possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. You are not going to risk that. Right. Uh, but if you know that you throw something out and people go like, hmm, I'm not sure that's going to work. Right. They're still say speaking their mind. Right. Yes. They're, you know? But 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 you are not afraid to hear that because you also know that when they say something, you can say that, and that is uh, safe for you to do. Yeah. You are not afraid to say and uh, contribute everything that you have. There are definitely personalities that are more pessimistic than optimistic. That uh, you know, there there are folks whose natural tendency is to pick holes. Mm -hmm. Not, not right. And I'm not going to say it's necessarily bad. It just needs to be balanced too, right? Mm -hmm. but you but get the, you know, what really drives me crazy is when somebody will um, offer all of the criticism and none of the suggestion, yeah. right? So, okay, yeah, I get that. I did that wrong. Yeah. Let's move on. Yeah. Now, what would you like to do about it, right? And you, you know, still- and they can't answer that. They're still stuck in blame. And then, right. yeah, and blame is usually non-productive. And yep. actually having, having a process that where assigning blame is a goal will generally uh, in prohibit learning. Sure. I, I think people need to know where they screwed up, but move on, 
Right? Yeah, but yeah. the thing is, as a and group, everyone can learn. Like very often, it's like okay, so let's say that you uh, you were trying to do an upgrade of of something, and then mm. suddenly you crash the entire site. Right, right. So somebody now can like take you to task and say like, oh my god, you're such an idiot for doing yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you stupid fool! What yeah. did you do? The site's or, still down. <laughs> or people can say like, okay, so but listen, you were just doing a routine upgrade. Yeah, right. And how did that lead to this? Like, is there something that we can put in that maybe right. our documentation needs to be better? Maybe parts of this should be scripted. What do we Maybe, miss? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And then as a group, you are learning. Uh, well, the argument is it blameless. shouldn't have been possible for you to take that. Exactly. Yeah. It should. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be that risky to sure. do something that should have been routine. Uh, yeah. in, in, in a line I've used many times is this: "Be more careful next time" is not a strategy. No. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yep. It's time to deserialize today's humorous thoughts into a nullable joke object. Nice. And it's null. Object not found. Nope. <laughs> Sorry. Or my favorite error message of all time. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> That's the Canadian <laughs> version. <laughs> Sorry. It's like object not found, but it's more polite. <laughs> Actually, it's sorry. Yeah. <laughs> actually, I contaminated you now. No, it's catchy. Every once in a while. Uh, it's actually time to give away a $200 Amazon gift card. Compliments of Progress Telerik to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, let me tell you about the most comprehensive developer toolkit for building modern apps on the market today, Telerik DevCraft. With more than 1,100 Telerik.net and Kendo UI JavaScript components and controls, you can easily build modern, high-performant web, mobile, and desktop apps, as well as chatbots. The toolset also includes reporting solutions, automated testing, and productivity tools, and comes with a range of support options. New this year is a free online training program for all license holders, with this alongside thousands of demos with source code, comprehensive docs, and a full assortment of Visual Studio templates, you'll be up and running with the Progress, Telerik, and Kendo UI tools in no time. Download a free 30-day trial today at Telerik.com slash download. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Jonas Borges. Congratulations, Jonas. Let's give Jonas a round of applause. No golf claps here. Yeah, no golf claps. Full claps. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason that I stumbled is because obviously I sat on my phone and put some extra characters in there <laughs> <laughs> during the break. <laughs> it's always funny. <laughs> um, well, anyway, uh, Jonas just won a $200 Amazon gift card, compliments of progress, Telerik, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you'd like to be a member... Go to dotnetrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors, and every December we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of that fan club. But you got to sign up if you want to win. And we also like to ask our guests, Patricia, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology right now, what would you buy? That is hard. Five thousand dollars. It's like the things that I would like are the things that are probably quite useless right now. Like you have, um, and I'm much more expensive. You have all of these uh, new screens that are that are still experimental that are 
translucent mm. and things that are, are, are bendable. Yeah. Mm. So you can roll them. Yeah. Yeah. I am, I'm very interested to see where that goes and to try it and to see like well, how that could be. But also, okay. So $5,000. Yes. I know what I would buy. Um, one of these, uh, um, Virtual reality slash augmented reality. Okay, things. headset systems. Yeah. Yes, because I'm very in, yes, I'm very interested in in uh, seeing where that will go, especially augmented reality. And, yeah, yeah, and how we will do user interfaces when suddenly we have a three dimensional space to do them in. Yeah, and and you have a device on your face, and I'm thinking Hololens here mm-hmm. that basically is mapping that 3D space, yeah. so it knows where everything is and yeah. and can interact, help you interact. Especially with it. Hololens, I think, is very interesting. Yeah, Ready, Ready Player One. Here we come. <laughs> I was thinking hard about things like, like cooking with a HoloLens on, yeah. where it was actually with a little you know, machine learning on the back end, it can see that your your sauce is about to break. You need to do this. That's that pretty cool. It's actually yeah. continuously evaluating. You can the have like process. infrared camera that will tell you the temperature of the yeah. thing you're looking at. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. No, be- I'm very interested in where that will go. I have a laser thermometer. It does a pretty good job. Yep. <gasps> Just yeah. strap it to your head. That's yes. right. Now you're augmented. <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> Just don't look at the cat. <laughs> you look at your kids and you're like, oh my gosh, you're sick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're right. really hot. And they're like, ow, <laughs> my eye. Don't look at me. <laughs> yeah, and well, you look at the food and the cat jumps in the pot. That's not good either. <laughs> uh, All right, we're a little off track. Sorry. <laughs> we were having such an empathetic conversation. You know, it's almost scotch time, <laughs> right? It's getting that way, yeah. Right. We probably should have had a whiskey probably. out for the, for the last show of the day. Let's go over some of the other points in your, mm-hmm. you know, your, how many? Ten? Ten. Ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's talk about some more. Okay. Um, well, we've we've talked about uh, some of them already, but mm-hmm. I, I guess one of the things that I, I want to uh, to bring through is that you only very small projects you can really learn by starting and just reading it. Sure. So a lot of the techniques is about trying to figure out which parts are interesting. So so mm. you had uh, the, the first technique is one that most people do but most people are ashamed of doing and uh, it's something I call grepping. And yeah, that's just- <laughs> <love> grepping. There's <laughs> no shame in grepping. There's a lot of shame in grepping. People are very ashamed of grepping but it, in my experience mo- like if you are messing around in somebody else's code mm. at least 20% of your time is just grepping for stuff. Right, sure. Because you don't know. It's like you're, oh, you're over here and that calls this thing, but you don't know where that ends up. And I, then I, you're like... I got to define grepping because there might be developers who've never heard that term before. It's basically searching through files, right? Yeah. So text you, search. Text search through all your files to find classes, whatever, yeah. whatever it is that you're looking for. When you think about, you know, one of our advantages living in studio land is I click on any method or I click on any... A, yeah. a function and it just will jump to where it's yeah. called. And yeah. in my talk, I define that also as grepping. Yeah. So any it is kind, kind of, of grepping, without so, a doubt. Yeah, it is. So that's why I say it's like try to put it uh, the code into an IDE and as smart of an IDE as you can afford. Mm-hmm. Well, because that will give you a lot of like extra things and it will make it faster uh, right. to, to jump grepping around. Grepping really is, fa- if I've worked on projects with solutions with 150 projects in yeah. them and, and if you try to search yeah. for all the, through all those files in studio, yeah. Sorry, it's just not fast. Yeah. Studio's not that magical either. Yeah. yeah, but a grep is really, really yeah. effective. I, why is there shame in grepping? 
Because people feel that it's not very structured or like engineering. It's more like, you know, throwing a rock in and seeing what happens. Yeah, but but the thing is, that is a part of the thing. You are actually, you are actually just, you're in unknown territory. So, so this is so not. So is it being, are, are the engineers mocking us because we don't have a clear idea of what we're doing in mind? No, the funny thing always is. Always have the answer before <laughs> you ask the question. The funny thing is that all of the engineers do this. Yes, of course. Yeah, but right. the thing is, we don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like, don't look. I'm just grabbing in the code here over here. <laughs> 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 Gripping oh. is okay. That needs to be the sign on the wall. Yeah, right? no, but I, I think we have we have lots <laughs> of things that we we are like a little bit ashamed of, but we don't tell people. Like, yeah. like I have like my 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 uh, my bash of shame at the because <laughs> because if I have something that I do a lot, you know, in the beginning it's like I type it, but then I get tired of typing, so I do arrow up yep. to do it, even, yep. and then I have it in my history. Uh, but after a while, it's like I do it a lot, and then sometimes I have to do it in a specific order, so mm. I get tired of that so I, and so I just kind of copy paste them out into a bash file yeah. and then I put and then I just have that lying around and I just run it and it will do all of the things I do that all the time yeah and after a while you know I do that for and I have to change it but then I'm afraid I'm going to break it and so suddenly at some point I will go like I need to put this in source control <laughs> so, I, so I have a folder where I have my script and so now I can but it's a local repository because nobody yeah, is yeah. seeing my bash right. nobody's gonna look at this <laughs> and then at a certain point this is becoming like I've had several scripts they have like really e- made my workflow really efficient yeah. other people see that I'm really efficient in this workflow and they go like you know what can I can I look at your scripts and I'm like no, no. no. <laughs> no. this is Don't my bash of shame over here and you will not touch it and <laughs> <laughs> because it's like it is basically just copy pasting and just like it's I don't I'm not very good at bash if I have a problem I google it right. and so I don't really feel that it has sufficient quality the thing is it has it has value right sure, it has like sure. and some somebody t- asked for it yeah so what I do then is I go like um uh um I'll write a python script uh to do it I never actually end up doing that because I start and I realize I'm not that great a python either (laughs) 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 but at least python i feel like i can give to somebody whereas my bash is like like, no it's it's like my dirty secret i just hide it but if you got an intern you I know. could maybe, yeah, there you go. yeah, because That's it's like it has because it has, um, yeah, and then be like, yes, can it learn Python and then <laughs> make this pretty? For- yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I have it at the tip of my fingers when yeah. I need it. That's funny. <laughs> uh, what's what? What are some of the other um, items on your list for reading other people's? Uh, one, one, one thing that is, is if you're doing, uh, if you're looking at a GUI application, then it's trying to understand how the GUI works. Right. Oh. Um, and, yeah. and, the, and there are like different techniques for doing that. Um, one, yeah. one first one I would go for is, uh, is, uh, is find that button. So yeah. you basically just find a button that has a string on it. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. grab for the string. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you find the string probably in a localization mapping file if you have an internationalized application. Yep. But that will generally map to some kind of constant. So you yeah. grab some kind for of the token constant. that'll take you to the constant. Yeah. Yeah. 
This is why we grab. <laughs> yes, this is why we grab. And <laughs> grabbing again grabbing. can mean just like you know, like control clicking on things. If yeah. you sure. have a smart enough ID, but if not, you you're just you can do grabbing in all sorts of ways. Yeah. But in the end, it's like you end up and okay, so now you have the definition of the button, and then you go like, okay, so now I have to figure out how this hooks up to everything else. So then you try to find like, okay, here's an on click method. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, so I'm going to put a breakpoint, and now you need to have a debugger, right? And put a breakpoint on the on click, and then you click on the button. And you're like, okay, so now I have the stack on how all of the events get passed up. I have the, the, the widget hierarchy is now live in my debugger. I can mm. navigate up. I can see what kind of objects are in this widget hierarchy. Mm -hmm. And suddenly you can learn a lot about how the UI is structured. Mm. And, uh, and you have things like that. And then you have like also like try to make a feature, like try to add a button next to your button. Right. Because that will, that will, like, you think you understand by just looking around, but when you actually have to do, you realize all the stuff you didn't understand. Yeah. yeah. This is really about figuring out what environment you're truly functioning in. What is the patterns they're using about how UI works yeah. and so forth? Because and you, adding something new is a great yeah, test. Yeah. Because you have to realize, like, okay, so who instantiates this thing mm -hmm. and who owns it? And, and how do events propagate? I made a new event, but how do I set up somebody to listen for that? And what happens then? And suddenly you are digging into, to, to the logic of of how to add features, which right. is usually in any code base, a very central thing. They'd, they've added features many times, so they generally have a model for how you add features, and so then mm. you learn a lot. Yeah, And that informs, again, when you read code, again, that you didn't really understand before, now you understand more, so you read code you read before, and then suddenly... Yeah it makes sense yeah. in a different way. So that's why I say it's a very iterative process where you take notes, you draw, you try to explain it to people, set breakpoints, you do, you add logging, add tests, do like, it's it's a dirty process, but it is for learning, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's learning to get enough, to get enough under that that you have some confidence to be able to yeah. understand how it behaves, debug yeah. it, make yeah. modifications to it. Yes. I mean, it's part of this really reminds me of Michael Feathers' whole you know, legacy code mindset and just that idea of, you know, legacy is stuff that doesn't have tests. Yeah. Like, can you actually mm -hmm. build enough tests around it that you have confidence in its behavior? Yeah, yeah. because one of the central things that I talk about in, way in the beginning of the talk is that when you program yourself, you kind of have what I call like a mental machine. Mm -hmm. You know how this thing works. You know if you push here, then this will go here and yep. here. And you have this vision in your head. An abstraction. Yeah. And when you when you program, you kind of have to serialize that into code. And But when you get somebody else's code, you just get the code. Right. You are missing this whole mental machine. Mm -hmm. So a lot of this process is trying to construct this mental machine from somebody else's code. And, and, and try, and generally you will never get the whole machine. And in, in big projects today, like, like things like Chromium or, or, or uh, Android, I don't think anyone has no. the, the whole no. machine. Yeah. Everyone has like their part of the machine. And sometimes you don't, you know, like who you talk to, but you don't know anything about the people no, yeah, over yeah. here. You understand the widgets on the right and yeah. the widgets on the left. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of it. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so I love this idea that you have of serializing thoughts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like in the, the gestures that you're doing here, sort of <laughs> pulling out it here. out of your head. <laughs> Into code. I think that's wonderful. And that's also sort of what you have to do when you explain things to people. Yeah, because sure. you are, it's it's abstract in your head. You think you got it. But when you actually have to formulate sentences and logical arguments and structures, right. then suddenly you see what you're missing. Mm. And you're seeing what doesn't make sense. Yeah. That's why it's always helpful to teach mm -hmm. um, or to explain yeah. anything that you're doing. Like rubber ducking. Even if it's yeah. to your rubber duck, you explain yeah. things. 
you figure them out. You yeah. see the problems. But you're also reminding me that the this idea that all things are created twice. Yeah. The model in your mind and then yeah. the model that you represent through your fingers or that you represent through your voice. Yeah. Like they, it has to be twice. Yeah. And and that process of transforming from one to the other is also a source of learning and a yes. source of, of finding problems. And often often you will need to have it reflected back in some way. That mm. you, It's like, okay, so we have this thing in our head. We try to, to put it into code. Then we try to compile it. We try to run it. We try to, to accomplish the task, mm-hmm. right? And that is the validation that this both that our mental model worked and also that our translation process worked right. uh, to, to figure out uh, if it works. And when you talk to someone, you, you take your thoughts and you serialize them into words and you yep. say them to them, but they can reflect back to you that they understood you. Right. Because just because you said something doesn't mean that the other person understood what you were saying. Sure. You don't get that with a rubber duck. No. <laughs> you don't get a little... But it's it's hard to be motivated to talk to a rubber duck. So it I is. actually actually say that I I I don't recommend talking to it. And also because it's if you're in an open plan office, people will look at you funny yeah, if you're right. like you're sitting up the there duck. talking so, to a rubber duck. So really, duck. what we need, what we need, and this might be fun, is is there an Alexa skill or a Siri app or something <laughs> that just listens to you explain your code and goes, "I get it." Uh huh. Wow. But the thing that's is, co- are you sure that's the way it should go? <laughs> Randomly. And then just maybe, maybe that will help you figure stuff out. But it has to be motivating enough that you, that you bother. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and so, so having a person, you kind of feel like you have to make an effort. You can't just go in there blabbering. You kind right. of have to try. Yeah. Uh, if you try to write a blog post or prepare an internal rep- uh, presentation mm. or, or write some documentation, all of these things are things where you have to make an effort and where other people might hear or read you. Right. Right. And so you will actually, actually do the effort yeah. and not just go like blah, blah, blah. Right. Because it's very easy to kind of not go through with it. Right. Uh, and explaining things that you assume. Because yeah. we always, you know, you start a project with a bunch of assumptions, but you never really include those assumptions yeah. in your documentation. Always, not yeah. always. but And uh, that's one is great if people can ask questions. Like, yeah. it's like we have the rubber ducking thing where you, basically you're not really requiring the other person to, to, to understand much. I saw a scrubbed version of a movie and Samuel Jackson said, I am tired of these rubber ducking snakes on this <laughs> rubber ducking plane. Uh, somebody asks you to evaluate the, their code. I think it's a challenge to actually, and I would love your thoughts on how you, how to criticize effectively. Uh, someone in, asked me after the talk downstairs a similar question. And I think, there are two aspects to it. First of all, it is hard uh, to to, especially if you have like a, a code review where you're kind of getting a diff. Yep. So mm. imagine that somebody is is making a change in your code, mm-hmm. code that you know that you have this yeah. mental machine. The for. model for. Yeah. Uh, then, if you see the diff, you can generally map that to that specific part. You can actually. Apply it mentally. Right. And then you can see, okay, but that doesn't really work because of this thing and this thing. And you're not taking into consideration this other thing. Right. Um, but what you are doing then is, is the valuable feedback. You're doing the functional, logical, uh, feedback. Whereas if you are evaluating someone's code that you don't have that mental model, mm-hmm. it often degenerates to style. Yeah. 
and, the worst kind of code reviews. Yeah, and, and, like, and, and what from, spaces, not tabs. Yeah, and hmm. first of all, it's 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 generally functionally uninteresting. It yeah. generally doesn't give any value, hmm. and it feels like somebody's picking on you for yeah, no reason. Right for no no good use. Yeah. So so if you want to be able to do the middle part, then you basically have to try to build this mental machine out of this code that you don't know, sure. which takes effort. Yeah, and time, and, and time, and yeah. you might not feel like you have that because you're in the middle of this other thing and you're right. just and and so it becomes uh, uh you end up like okay well i'll just comment on their braces right yeah yeah and and then i think probably i i i, I think we overvalue uh some of the feedback that we get and we undervalue the 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 real feedback so mm. what you want is basically someone who is working in this part of the code Right. To give you feedback. Sure. Because they will give you the real feedback. So the one the that model. you really need. They have the model and yeah. they can, they can explain it to you. They can tell you why this doesn't work. They can point yeah. you in the right direction. They can right. teach you, right? Yeah. How do you feel about stuff like pair programming? Like one of the things I, we just saw that is like you naturally both have the mental model. Yeah. And you always have a duck sitting right beside yeah. you. Uh, for some people, it, it, they love it. Yeah. They need it. Uh, for me, I am, I'm naturally an introvert. Mm -hmm. I, I can't imagine working that way. Having someone beside you. Yeah, I, I have tried it uh, several times, but for me, it is exhausting. Sure. Mm. Yeah. So, so I I need time and and quiet to build my machine. Yeah. And right. if someone talks to me constantly, or I have to talk to them constantly, it just kind of collapses. Sure. No, and I'm a firm believer in you know my productivity is measured in interruptions per hour, <laughs> and uh, Mike, the correct number of interruptions per hour is like point two five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny. They've done studies where they, where if you are uh, deeply immersed in a task where you have to have full concentration and somebody interrupts you, yeah, it will take around uh, on average twenty minutes to get back where you were. Sure. So somebody comes over to you and they say, "Do you have a minute?" What yes. they're actually asking, do you have 21 yeah. minutes? Mm. Well, you've already taken 21 <laughs> minutes now. Yeah. 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 So, so it's, it's, uh, it's funny how, how, uh, people, especially people who don't have those kinds of jobs. Sure. Don't realize that right. it, it, it takes a lot to get back where you were. Right. Yeah. I think it, I think it's one of the things if we, if we are going to get to a pair situation where they have to understand the concentration model. Yeah. And, and I know how to contribute to each yeah. other. Are there things people do to try to, um, get in and out of that model or maybe make the models not so complex that they have to keep it all in their head at one that time. That is that is a theory that several people have said that they that that if you have to spend so much time constructing it, it yeah. it's too complex. Sure. Yeah. And that is that is uh that is a very interesting point of view. I don't know if it applies always, but I think it should apply a lot of the time. Most things should be simple to understand. Uh, we, right. we like to make things like, oh, I made all of this like fancy stuff, but it comes back to like things like what we've talked about in the past, like things like premature optimization. If you make code that is like ridiculously complex, trying right. to shave off a couple of milliseconds off of something that happens only once, yeah. then, then it's going to be really difficult for mm -hmm. the next yeah, person to make a change here. Yeah, right. And, and, and that is also the thing though. You, when you, when you program, people think that you're programming a computer, but when you program very much, you are, are writing to the next person, mm -hmm. the next yes. person that's going to read this. Yeah. Uh, we are like in many ways, like people who write books, we write code, but we are communicating with people. Yep. And, mm. and, and thinking that way. And oftentimes it's not easy to, to tell where things that you thought were obvious weren't obvious. And mm -hmm. so that's when it's really good to have 
maybe a junior person to mm. come and read your code as a senior person where they go like, I don't understand what you did here. And mm. then you realize, okay, that wasn't as obvious as I thought it was. Sure. Mm. And teaching someone, you know, that yeah. piece of complexity is useful for them and useful for you. Yeah. Right. Is there a, it's the best way to think about well, how I would make that simpler? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And that is often where you are as a senior. You're trying to figure out better ways of explaining things, better ways of expressing things. When you're a junior, you're spending most of your time trying to understand. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but so and and so that's where seniors really need juniors to give them that fresher perspective. Yeah, stop them from getting person. so lost in their heads, essentially, of weirder yeah. and weirder because ideas. Because you could easy, mm. easily spin out of control, but you yeah. are the only one that understands this mm-hmm. thing now. And, right. and and the whole team recognizes that nobody will make a change here. And if you go on vacation, nobody yeah, will touch it. code freezes. <laughs> you get hit by a bus, and then it's like, here's this magic code. We don't yeah. touch this magic no, code. No, in the end, it's like your team will probably just try to make a whole new module to replace yours. Yes. Mm. Instead of, of working with your yeah, code. Right. Trying to work with anything. Yeah. I think it's... a the best measure of quality code is that other people can pick it up yes. and run with it and, and do more with it. Yes. Sure. And even fix it if, yeah. if it yeah. needs fixing. I do think it's a challenge to measure that, to say what is code that's easy to maintain yeah. mm-hmm. for, by others. Do you think um, C++ is inherently more abstract and complex to uh, keep construct mental models of um, code than, say, some of the higher level languages? Because I think I think C and C as well um, are languages that are are fraught with danger. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> and we, so we are very careful programmers. It's um, your foot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's 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 uh, so so. Uh, I, I I heard a podcast with a guy who makes uh, this uh, CPP quiz uh, this other day, and he's written all of these like questions, and sure. and he has a deep understanding. And then you know the podcast people were asking him like, so so what have you learned after doing this for so long? And he was like, I have uh, I have learned to be very afraid. i I know enough to know i'm doomed yes (laughs) or like somebody else said on on twitter says i know about enough about floating points to know that i don't know anything about floating points i appreciate that it's great (laughs) thinking actually yeah Yeah. okay well uh, what's next for you patricia i just started my own company congratulations Mm -hmm. thank you or maybe maybe that's premature I, I, it might be. I Good don't luck, know. Maybe. <laughs> no, the funny thing is, I, I had already decided that I was going to spend some months this uh, fall um, learning more about security, trying to mm. figure out how I want to contribute. Mm. So I basically have like a, a study break mm-hmm. where I will um, learn and study and make stuff, and uh, and I kind of we've saved up to do that, and so so that is like so I'm on a study break until December first. So when people ask me, so how is it like working for yourself? And I'm like, you know what? I have, I, it, it's totally unrealistic. I basically do exactly what I want to do every right. day. That's that. This right. is not how it's going to be. So I yeah. can't tell you. Yeah. You don't, you don't <laughs> know yet. You know, no. you don't have one boss. Every customer is now the boss. Um, it, yeah. So currently, currently I, uh, I do stuff that I find interesting. Mm-hmm. I make stuff that I find interesting. I want to dig into. Um, but uh, December 1st, that's when I have to get a real job. Like. Right. Start getting paid for it. <laughs> yes, I have to get paid. So we'll see how that goes. I'll What's t- the uh, company and the website? Uh, the company is called TurtleSec, and the website is turtlesec.no. Excellent. Awesome. Well, we definitely have to talk to you some more in the future, I'm sure. Will you come back? Yes. Absolutely. Thank Patricia, you. Patricia, awesome. It's been great talking to you. And we will see you next time on .net Rocks.
Net Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and of course in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Transmit a band.